0: We are going to be in First Peter chapter one, verses one through two, and I, I want you to think about this as an introduction to the. Uh, I want you to think about this sermon as an introduction to uh, the book of First Peter. Uh, there are some doctrines, some concepts that we're going to talk about here that will be further explained as we go along in the book. Uh, they're going to be explained naturally as we progress in in the letter. Uh, but today, we we want to look at verses one and two. So let's go ahead and read those and and let's get a a good introduction into this book. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the Dispersia in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is the word of God, amen. So. We see here that uh, First Peter, or we don't see here, but I, I do want to explain a little bit of why First Peter was written and, and give you some background on the book. First Peter was written to a church that was suffering persecution in Rome, and uh, they were suffering uh, greatly. And the church had been falsely accused by the emperor Nero, and they had been falsely accused of setting uh, most of Rome uh, on fire. And the truth about it was was that uh, Nero had actually set the fire himself, and, and then he blamed it on the Christians. Now, that was a touchy situation because the Christians there, they already had a, a bad relationship with those in Rome because um, this Christian religion was very foreign to everybody. They thought it was very, very weird. Uh, first of all, they called each other brother and sister and uh, they, they thought that they were uh, involved in inappropriate relationships with one another because you can imagine you're, you're married and you're calling each other brother and sister. Um, there were also some other things that were really weird because they celebrated the Lord's Supper and the Christians talked about drinking the blood of Christ, eating his flesh. Those are really foreign concepts to uh, those in Rome. And so there was already a strained relationship and they were an easy target for for, for Nero to say, no, they did it, and once uh, he blamed the church for doing it, uh, the persecutions came. So as a result of Nero blaming the church, Christians were experiencing persecution in the form of insults. Uh, we get those today, so we're like, okay, we can, we can relate to that. Uh, they get the uh, persecution in the form of insults, uh, slanderous accusations of wrongdoing, so someone being wrongly accused, they were being persecuted that way. They were also being uh, beating. Uh, they, they, they were beat uh, in, in public, uh, in private also, and then also there was mob violence. So a bunch of people would come ag- against a Christian or two and uh, severely beat them. So, you know, there are some things uh, that we can relate to, but then there are some things that for us it's kind of foreign as far as persecution goes. Um, but nevertheless, these Christians were experiencing persecution it was a tough time so this letter this letter would would uh, be something that would be written to them and it would give them encouragement it would uh, give them courage it would let them know that the Lord was with them and that they were a special people and that even though they were being persecuted that did not take away the fact that they were God's covenant people all right so uh, that's very important to understand and as I said when I opened our service today that this letter has a lot of parallels with the book of Exodus. I want to go over just a, a few with you. First of all, the Israelites were persecuted. We, we studied that in, in the book of Exodus and we saw how long they were persecuted. A lot of the same things that the church was dealing with here. So we saw that the, that, that the Israelites in, in, in Exodus were persecuted and we also see that going on here uh, with the church. Uh, we see that God saved the Israelites from their persecution. Uh, we read how God uh, he, he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and he told Moses what would happen. He gave Moses a, a, a commission and told him this is what you need to go do. He called Moses to go and free the Israelites. That was an awesome way God did that. Um, so, but we also see God working in the church uh, to save them as well. So God saved the Israelites from persecution, and we see that. He will do the same thing for this church here. Now, we understand, too, that the Israelites were sojourners. They were wanderers in a foreign land after they left Exodus. Uh, they were going to the promised land. But while, while they were walking their way to the promised land, they were foreigners. And, and we see that here with the church as well. Uh, We see that the Israelites were God's chosen people, that they were set apart and that they were holy. We see that none of them deserved to be saved by God. They didn't prompt faith. Uh, We see that God chose out of his own goodness and mercy to save them. And uh, he did a, a good and wonderful thing. So the Israelites were God's chosen people who were set apart, holy. And the reason for their existence on earth was to bring him honor and glory. And we see that with the church here in first Peter. And last, we see that he established a covenant with the Israelites. Uh, They were to be his people. They were to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, uh, a a people for his own possession. Uh, They were solely and wholly his. So he established this covenant with the Israelites and the fulfillment of that covenant is seen in the church here. So there are a lot of things. There are several other things that I can, I can list, but they go back and forth. And you see these parallels between uh, the book of Exodus and also uh, 1 Peter. Now, as far as what we talk about when we say that the church is God's covenant people, uh, you can see the title of the sermon is God's covenant people. And that's something that I really want to focus on today. We see that this letter answers the question of what it means to be God's covenant people. Um, if you just look at the subheadings, my Bible, it's an ESV Bible, and it has subheadings. But if you just look at throughout this letter, it, it's easy to see what it, what it is to be God's covenant people. First of all, uh, we see that uh, in chapter one, that God's covenant people are born again to a living hope. Uh, we see that also in chapter one, that God's covenant people are called to be holy. Uh, we see that we are living stones, and we're, we're being built up to be holy people. Uh, and that was in chapter 2. Chapter 2 also talks about how we should, uh, as God's covenant people, that we should submit to authority. Uh, that's within uh, the spiritual realm, uh, within our church life, and then also within our secular life. Um, as God's covenant people, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about how the household should run. It talks about wives and it talks about husbands. As uh, God's covenant people, also in chapter three, talks about how we should expect to suffer, but for righteous snakes, uh, not righteous snakes, righteous sake. Thank you. Uh, I knew there were going to be some slip ups here and there. So in chapter four, as God's covenant uh, people, we should uh, know that we are stewards of God's grace. Also in chapter four, that we must be prepared to suffer as Christians. And in chapter 5, that we we must commit ourselves to shepherd the flock of God. So there are some very interesting things here as God's covenant people that we will learn as we uh, go through uh, this book. But again, the importance here is that we are his. We are his people. He is the one who came and saved us. And today, when we look at verses 1 and 2... Within these verses, we can see as God's covenant people that we learn today that although we are not home yet, God is with us and He is working out His purpose in our lives. And that's where we come to the sermon summary. That is a sermon summary, actually. Although we are not home yet, God is with us and He is working out His purpose in our lives. First of all, when I talk about a covenant, uh, for some of you that may sound weird, it may sound, some, it may sound different, but what is the covenant that God has made with the church? I, I hope everyone in here understands what a covenant is and the covenant of grace that we have with God, because that's exactly what it is. It's a covenant of grace that we live in today. And this is what the London Baptist Confession of Faith says in chapter seven, verse two, or uh, it says, moreover, or paragraph two, it says, moreover, Man having brought himself under the curse of the law by his fall. So that points back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, the fall there. It pleased the Lord to uh, make a covenant of grace wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ. Points back to Christ. Christ says, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So uh, the covenant is through Christ uh, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give unto all those that are ordained unto eternal life his Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. I love the way the London Baptist Confession, how it it explains what the covenant of grace is. Uh, In other words, we are people who who have sinned against God. We were born sinful, and uh, it pleased God to make a covenant with us and it's a covenant of grace, meaning that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not from our, anything that we've done, but it's everything that God has done. And he has chosen to save us uh, despite of our sin. And, it's, and he saves us in Jesus Christ. We cannot be saved except through faith in Christ. And he requires of us faith in him. And he also requires of us obedience unto him. And he gives us eternal life uh, through his spirit and also through his spirit, he makes us willing to be able to believe and live according to his wonderful and gracious word. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful explanation of what a, a covenant is and the covenant of grace that we live in. So, as, uh, so what is said in the confession is captured here in verses 1 and 2. Just these Uh, two verses. There's so much here. Um, And and I want to go over what those two verses say. First of all, we see that as God's covenant people, the Bible talks about us being elected. Uh, You see uh, Peter referencing to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So Peter reminds the people, he reminds them of their privilege. And also I'd like to say secure position in Christ. Because we are in Christ and we are both privileged and secure. And I, I, I want that to sink in with everybody. We're privileged in the fact that God has saved us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything for it. But God, out of his own goodness, he came and he saved us. Thank God for that. Now, that's our privileged part, but we are secure because it is God who has chosen to save us. He has made a covenant with us and says that this covenant is, is, is bound by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, therefore, since Jesus Christ, is, 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 he, he did what he needed to do, uh, he is perfect in every way. That covenant will never be broken. So not only are we privileged, but we are also secure in Christ. We are the objects of God's sovereign grace and his eternal choice to be his people and that is done through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is referencing here when he talks about election. God's election of his people uh, would not have been foreign to those receiving this letter. It it wouldn't have been foreign at all because they understood that God was completely sovereign. They understood that that God was was in control of all things, that he was above all things. So it wasn't foreign to them to hear that, that God elected them as his people. And let me tell you this today, it should not be foreign to us as well, especially if we are careful readers of the Bible. Because from the beginning, we see God's sovereign choice at work. I've already pointed back to Exodus. And I, and I told you, those people did nothing to deserve God's goodness. They did nothing to deserve being saved by God. They did nothing to deserve being called the people of God, and yet God saved them. And we even see that when God was saving them, while they were going through that process, that they rebelled against God. And yet he continued to be their God. And we see that play out in our own lives. We see that there was nothing that we did or nothing good in us that caused God to save us, but yet he saved us. And even at times we rebel against God and yet God remains faithful to us. I, I praise God that, that my salvation is not, not, not hinging on my, my, my own uh, behaviors. It's not hinging on my holiness, but rather it is upon Christ that my salvation rests. And that's where it belongs because only there am I both privileged and secure. And just as God chose the Israelites out of all the people and tribes on earth, we, we have to, I think we forget about that sometimes, that the Israelites were not the only people on earth. When we read the Old Testament, we, we I don't know, I, I, I kind of, sometimes I'm so focused on the Israelites, and then we get to a portion where God says, okay, now we're entering new territory, and you've got to wipe these people out. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, there's other people. And and God, he he. He chose the Israelites out of all the people and tribes on earth to be his people and his nation and he has chosen us to be his church now I want you to see that in a couple of senses Uh, first of all I think most of us get it in the corporate sense we get it in in the large crowd like oh yeah he has he has chosen us all here together like yeah we he has put us here together to be his people but but I, I want you to that is true but I want you to see God more personal than The Bible talks about him being imminent, that he is so close to us that he is in us. He knows everything about us. There there is no one closer to us than God. He he not only saved us corporately as, as as a church, but he saved you. That's impactful. He saved you. When you start to see that and know that, that God saved you, he saved us each individually. We were all not deserving of it. And yet he saved us individually to put us together corporately. It's a beautiful thing. So we are his elect people. And that's why I say that you don't have to serve the Lord. I'm not going to stand up here at the pulpit. I'm not going to get down from the pulpit and be begging you to do stuff. I'm I'm not going to do that. I will I will preach from God's word. and I will tell you, you ought to do this because if God's spirit is in you, it's going to it's going to lead you to do God's work. But I'm not going to beg you to do stuff, because even though you don't have to serve the Lord, you get to serve the Lord. And that is a privileged position. That's not something that we're like, oh, you know, because I I see the mentality. I used to have the mentality myself. I would want to be asked to serve in a ministry. Like I I, I wanted to, I wanted people to need me. Not realizing that no one really needs me. They need the Lord. They need the Lord. and, and, And we have, once we become Christians, we are his people. And we get to serve. Before, we were not his people, and we didn't get that chance to serve. We were not his people, and we could not worship him adequately. We were not his people, and we could not do his his, his will. We could not do his bidding on earth. But now we are his people. And his spirit is working in us, and he's causing this, this wonderful good spirit to flow from us. And now... Now we get to serve the Lord. And, and I hope that everyone has that mentality and they serve the Lord with all their heart. Let me add something. It's not easy to serve the Lord. In fact, I learned something these last three weeks. Taking a break is difficult. It's, it's not difficult in, in the rest that you get. I enjoyed that. Really did. Had some quality time with my family. Like, I, I saw a lot of things that were like, wow, we've been missing a lot. There are some things, I mean, I got to spend so much time with my daughter, Elora. she's not going to school. And, and her and I, we had breakfast almost every morning. And, and just sitting down and talking with her, it was just a wonderful time. Because I took off of work as well. And, and we just had a wonderful, I got to spend time, obviously, with my other kids as well, my wife. And it was just like, wow, this is great. But, you know, I noticed something. I noticed something that was very difficult. My rest, And that was the fact that I wanted to continue to do it. I wanted to continue to, to, to have all that time, and I was thinking about it in the wrong way, though. I, I, wanted, to, to, I wanted that me time. I wanted that me time, and it was, it was very difficult to deal with that. And to say, well, you know what, maybe, hmm, all the serving I've done, I've been serving the Lord for this many years, maybe I do need a, a, an extended break. Serving the Lord is not easy. But then I start thinking about it and I start saying, you know what? I don't need a break from what I get to do. I get to serve the Lord. I, I get to be a pastor of a church. I get to suffer for his namesake. I get to do all those things. I don't have to. I get to. And it's a wonderful thing. Even, even the suffering part. And I hope we have the same mentality that, that now, it, it, the, that the fact that we are his covenant people, we get to serve him. So again, don't sit around waiting for me to ask you to, or beg you to do something. Um, that's not going to happen. I may ask you to do something, but I'm not going to beg for you to do something. Uh, the Lord will convict you and he will help you to realize that you get to serve him. So my expectation is that as soon as I'm done from here, I'm going to get like four or five people and they're going to be like, where can I serve? Where can I serve? That's my expectation. So also as God's covenant people, not only are we uh, elected, but as God's covenant people, we are exiles. Paul references the elect exiles. So we see that, that we are exiles. When you look at the biblical usage of this word, uh, it means to uh, sojourn in a, in a strange place, to wander in a strange place, to be a foreigner. But it, as you look at it in the, as a New Testament, uh, as, it, as it's used in the New Testament, we see that it's a New Testament metaphor in reference to heaven as the native country and one who sojourns on earth. So heaven is our home and, and and we're here on earth living right now. That's that's kind of what is uh, what is meant by the word exiles. Um, now, I, I don't want any kind of wacky theology forming from this because it does not mean that we existed in heaven before we came here to earth. It doesn't mean that that we were basically waiting for our bodies. We were in heaven, we were wandering around, waiting for our bodies, and then finally our bodies are made, and then God sends our spirit down. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Please don't get mixed up with that. What, what, what I am saying is this, and, and the reason why I say that's not true, because I look at Psalm 139:13, how it explains that God creates us fully in our mother's womb. Beautiful thing. And that's why life is sacred, in the womb. That's why abortion is horrible. That's why it's more murder. And that's why it should not be tolerated. So God creates us fully in our mother's womb. And God gives us our spirit in there. So we, we obtain this spirit. And it means, uh, it's, so that, that's where we are created. So I'm not talking about us existing somewhere else. And then once our bodies are, are formed, we are placed in there. But it does mean this. It means that we become citizens of heaven after we are born again with faith, faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It means that we were here, we were not, when we were born, we were not citizens of heaven. We were sinners in need of a savior. Once we found our savior, we were born again in the spirit and our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven because that's where our father is from, Right? All right, That's not where he's from. I need to be careful about what I say. But that's where our father is. That's where he exists at. So we are citizens because our father is there. Not only is he there, he is everywhere. John fourteen two through 3 says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Our home is in heaven. That's important. That's very important for us to realize. It's very important for us to realize as we live our lives today. You know, when we are done with our work on this earth, we have a home in heaven where we will get our rest. Right now, we we should be about our Father's business. Right now, we should be working. We should be working in every aspect of our lives to bring glory to God. We should be working in every aspect of our lives, bring honor to him, to serve him, to proclaim his name, To be a reflection of his goodness. To do all those things. That's what we should be doing now. Because we're not home. And I don't know about you, but I'm a home kind of guy. You can call me a homeboy if you want. I'm a homeboy. I love my home. I love to come back and rest. I do plenty of work and I love to come home and I love to rest. rest. I see home as a place of rest. And I know a lot of you are the same. There's there's nothing like resting at home after a long day's work. Even if it's outside, cutting trees down, moving them around, hard physical work. Or if it's just being at work all day, 10, 12 hours a day, and then you come home and you see those whom you love, you get to relax, and you get to just enjoy, uh, enjoy conversations with them and enjoy their presence and their fellowship. So there is nothing like resting at home after a long day's work. Nothing will compare to the rest we get in heaven in the presence of the Lord. Nothing. We have to remember this is not our home. We are exiles. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. I mean, we, we're here to work. We're here to, to, to proclaim his name, to see, to, for people to see his goodness. And no matter what we go through here on earth, it's nothing compared to what, what the rest is going to be when we get home. So what does that mean? There are some implications to that. There are some things that we have to understand. Christian, it means that you... You should not get too overwhelmed by work. What I mean by that is, yeah, serving the Lord is tough. I've already given you one example just from my own personal life. You have your own examples. We know serving the Lord is tough. Don't get overwhelmed by how tough it is. Yeah, there's times when you need rest. You'll, you'll take that temporary rest here on earth. You'll do that. And it's good. It's good to rest. Make sure you're sleeping enough. Make sure you're taking care of your body. Make sure you're eating right. Make sure you're getting exercise. Right? Make sure you're doing all those things. But don't be too overwhelmed by the work that you have. Because if you're anything like me, I look at what I have sometimes and I think, I'm never going to get it done. Or I think, all this work is going to kill me. Right? You start to think all kinds of different things. Don't be overwhelmed by your work. You're here to work. And I mean that not only in the physical sense, but I mean that in every sense, every aspect of your life, spiritually, physically, you're here to work. So we have to know that, that we're here to work, but yet there's a place where we're going to get rest. Don't get overwhelmed by work, but also don't get overwhelmed by the pleasures of this world. That's another trap that Christians fall into. I I, I was listening to an interview with a guy one time, and I thought it was very interesting. He was talking about bucket lists and if Christians should have bucket lists or not. Everybody knows what a bucket list is, right? Everything that you want to do on this earth, you put it in there and and you you pull out a a paper and you you go out there and do it, right? So we say, that's on my bucket list. To go to Anywhere, right? To go to Africa, that's on my bucket list. To go to to go do something, to ride the biggest roller coaster in the world, that's on my bucket list. Those things are not really, but I'm just telling you, give you an explanation. So we have all these bucket lists, but this interview this guy who was doing who was being interviewed, he said, you know, Christians, they shouldn't they shouldn't want a bucket list. I thought, wait a second, that's that's kind of interesting to say that. He said, Listen, he goes, any place you miss out on seeing now Because imagine what you're going to see when the Lord makes the world new again. There's nothing in comparison to what we're seeing now. Like you want to see the Grand Canyon? Wait till till the Lord makes the world new again. What are you going to see? What are you really missing? There's, There's nothing. There's nothing on this earth. Nothing on this earth that you are really missing out on. Because when God, when he, he, he makes the new world, it's going to be what we are missing out on now is nothing in comparison to what we will see on that day. But not only what we want to do, and what we want to see, but what about what we want to have? Or how about who we want to have? What we want to do, how we want to gratify our flesh. It goes down to everything, what we want to eat, what we want to drink, what we want to say. We shouldn't get overwhelmed by the pleasures of this world. Because they are just worldly. They are worldly. We we have other things that we must tend to and we must remember that the pleasures of this world are nothing in comparison to what the Lord will give us when we get there, when we get home. Also, we must not be overwhelmed by the trials of this world. This is a big one. We see this storm coming and we forget that our God is bigger than the storm. We, we sit there and we, we don't know what to do. We forget we serve a sovereign God. We just, or, or we throw a pity party. Whatever it is we do. We have a hard time. All those different things. Christian, don't get overwhelmed by your trials. And the reason why I say we should not get overwhelmed about these things is because all these things have one thing in common. They are temporary. They're fleeting. They really don't matter in the end. These things don't have, they they don't last forever. There's only one thing That does, and that's the Lord's mercy and grace. Whatever it is that we face in this world and the next, He will make it good. He will make it right. He will make it perfect. So remember, we are exiles. This is not our home. Don't expect to get the rest that you would get at home. There's a better place for that. Keep that in mind as you live your life. Lastly as God's covenant people we are being sanctified. We are being sanctified. Peter talks about that in verse 2. And to be sanctified means to be made holy, it's a process. The process of being made holy and we are sanctified through the Spirit's work. It's not something that, you know, that we can just say, I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to make myself holy. We can change behaviors for a limited amount of time. But that doesn't mean you're being sanctified. Because to be made holy, to be sanctified is, a, is something that is, is permanent, something that sticks with you, something that it's developed in you. It is done by the work of the Spirit. So we are being sanctified through the Spirit's work and He is working in us through all circumstances. Philippians 2, 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a purpose, there's a reason why we go through things. And the goal of our sanctification is to be like him. He says to be holy as he is holy. And as we are made holy through faith, through obedience, and through repentance, we begin to reflect his goodness in our spiritual maturity. Sanctification is a wonderful thing. I love to see it in people. I was having a text conversation with one of our church members, and I don't want to embarrass that person, but I just said, I basically said, I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of what the Lord is doing in your life. I've seen a big difference between, you know, when I first met you to now. Wonderful awesome I also said don't forget you're still a sinner (laughs) then I put joking I know you're I know you know you're a sinner but to see that process to see God move in someone's life it's a beautiful thing there's no one in here who's perfect we're all far from it But yet we are being sanctified. And again, the goal of our sanctification is to be like him. So the process of sanctification, the process of spiritual growth is proof of God's spirit in us. And it could be seen as evidence of the salvation we have in Christ. Because only those who are saved and secure in Christ are sanctified. As a Christian, I need you to know something. A Christian is not who he should be, never is. Romans chapter 7, even the great apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, that's what I keep on doing. The things I don't, wait, did I mess that up? Yeah, I did. See, not perfect. The things I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. That's the great Apostle Paul. He says that. He explains that to us. A Christian is not who he or she should be. But he or she is also not who they used to be. That's sanctification. We hadn't gotten there yet, but we're not who we used to be. We have been saved. Our, char- our hearts have been changed. God is working in us. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians 1.6 that he will bring it to completion. When he comes back to take us to be with him, all things will be made right. So as God's covenant people, I need you to remember that you are elected. are exiles, but yet you are being sanctified. God is with you. God is with you and he is working out his purpose in your life. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we